1: This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell. and here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The bald eagle has been a national symbol of the U.S. since the days of George Washington and Ben Franklin, but also a spiritual symbol for Native people even before that. Now the time is right to see these birds as they nest around the state. So today we welcome Debbie Crum from Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation to talk about eagles and the best way to help an eagle or other creature if you find one injured. Dr. Major's here, ready for your pet questions. Libby always likes to hear about your brushes with nature. Join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss creature comforts on Thursday mornings, it always repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's start with you. What have you been seeing in your yard lately?
2: Good morning. Oh, goodness. Um, This morning, I'm kind of covered up with goldfinches on the bird feeder, and i you remember we've talked about goldfinches before, I think. But uh, right now, I've got males and females and immatures, and uh, you know the males are not quite um, in their full breeding colors yet. They they make a, a big transition in the spring, and uh, goldfinches breed late in the year, so they won't get that that real bright pop for a while. I've never had a breeding pair here, and uh, but a friend of mine just two miles away had them last summer so I'm hoping that this year will be the year for us to have some too and uh lots of walks in the woods the uh red maple buds are getting more and more prominent and i um, really giving us some color and oh I took a good walk Kevin over at Clinton Nature Center on Tuesday and I uh, walked all the trails and I tried to do a fast healthy walk and then do a Uh, go back through slow and just enjoy the woods and it's um, a pretty place. Remind people to find some trails close to you that um, you feel safe getting out on. Um, There were just a very few other people out. I think I only saw three other people, but um, a wonderful day out there. This has been such a good week. I hope everybody's been able to get outside. Yeah, I would really. Oh, re- heard some frogs early in the week too, when it was warm. Monday and Tuesday started hearing the frogs. As I thought about you, I heard those um, southern chorus frogs.
1: I heard those that too. Sound like the
2: comb. Yeah. Did you hear them? Yeah. Good. The
1: uh, the yeah. park in Pearl where I walk, you know, there was a bunch of water from the rain, and it was the same thing. And I thought about uh, our friend Joe McGee uh, also. Uh, but yeah, I would certainly recommend uh, Clinton Nature Center. I've mentioned that I've been there a couple of times. My friend and I have been there uh, twice and have been able to walk different. Uh, different routes. There's a number of different trails there, different lengths and that sort of thing. So really a, yeah. fun, a fun outing. Uh, and again, it's we've you know come across a couple of people, but it's uh, pretty much it's a good way to remain socially distanced, but to get out in nature and enjoy some good exercise. So I was uh, listening to uh, MPB last night and heard something about the Presidential Pet Museum, which I think is located in the White House, but I thought it was an interesting feature, and I went online today at presidentialpetmuseum.com to find out more about it. A lot of interesting things here. Uh, They highlight some of the things that you could find in the museum. Uh, There's things about Bo and Sonny Obama, the Portuguese water dogs. There's a strange portrait of President Reagan's lucky made from the dog's own hair, there's the original cowbell that hung around the neck of Pauline Wayne, the last cow to graze the White House lawn. Uh, there's things about Buddy and Socks, where the Clintons' uh, cats. Uh, the, but- the Bush White House is represented with Miss Beasley, Barney, and Spot. And also, Woodrow Wilson had a ram. Uh, Old Ike, I think, was its name. So that was interesting. And then last night on the radio, they said uh, the president with the most pets. Dr. Major? Take a guess who that might be.
3: Gosh, I don't know if you've got me there. That's one of the ones I haven't, wouldn't have thought of.
1: Um, Theodore Roosevelt, they said, had more than 30 <laughs> pets with him at the White House, which, you know, when you think about him and his, uh, naturalist, uh, background and that sort of thing, it's not too surprising, but, uh, it He's was interesting. Some,
3: uh, hounds up there. Yeah. Imagine, because he was such a hunter. I don't know about that, but anyway, uh. Wow, 30. That's yep. a lot.
1: They said snakes, lizards, um, some other strange creatures, but they also mentioned that, you know, uh, probably in the recent past, it's it's become mostly uh, dogs and cats. Right. So uh, how are things going at the clinic, Dr. Major?
3: You know, you talk about the frogs, the Southern chorus frogs. They're, they're out there right now if you walk outside there. We've got a raucous group of them, and uh, they haven't stopped even with the colder weather like the wind and everything. Uh, it was pretty cold last night, and when I left last night, they were still going. And I'm sure they went all night, and they're going this morning. So if anybody wanted to come hear some southern chorus frogs, <laughs> <laughs> they're back. They're back in the back, but uh, we don't we don't uh, what shall I say uh, put them there on purpose. But they're there, and uh, they make a lot of. A lot of frog noises.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, hard to uh, ignore when they're around because that, uh, that's a very distinctive uh, call that they have and it's quite loud. And, again, one of my favorites uh, sounds like uh, your finger being run down a comb. Uh, Java found something that was recently shared on the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Facebook page, and he's going to post a link on our podcast of this show. Uh, Fishing during the winter can produce nice crappie for anglers. Between Mississippi's naturally recognized flood control reservoirs, uh, the Ross Burnett Reservoir and Pickwick and Bay Springs Lakes, plenty of options for great winter crappie fishing uh, going on this year. Uh, uh, Are either of you fishers? Enjoy fishing? I do. <laughs> I would enjoy,
3: but I usually don't have time to do it. But yeah, uh, it's and I can remember can remember one of my uncles that would uh, go fishing uh, during the winter time, what you would call the winter time. He'd go up to Eagle Lake or some of those lakes there, and and would come back with a tremendous number of crappies and uh, good fish, big fish.
2: Yeah. I grew up fishing. My dad was a fisheries biologist. In fact, I was—we lived on uh, fish hatcheries and wildlife refuges a lot. So there were always opportunities to be in a boat. I might not be fishing very hard, but I always was up to go on the boat ride.
1: And I did. So- and
2: uh, Paul likes to fish, so I go out with him. Yeah.
1: And I called them crappy, and obviously it's crappie, so I apologize for that. I, and I remember reading it, and I was thinking to myself, I know it's not quite the way to say it, but uh, I said it wrong, but it is crappie fishing. And, and MDWFP says uh, this is a great time of year for uh, fishermen to go out and, and catch the crappie. And again, uh, just kind of points out the, what wonderful natural resources uh, we have here in Mississippi, that's for sure.
2: Uh, yeah, and those crappie are delicious. No matter how you pronounce, it,
1: they're delicious. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, why don't we go ahead and take our first break? Uh, when we return, we'll bring our guest onto the show. We're going to be talking this hour with Debbie Crum from the Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation about where you can see eagles in the state. Doctor Major and Libby will stay with us throughout the hour for your creature questions and observations. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this.
2: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation this morning with a question or comment, you can call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Our guest for the hour is Debbie Crum. She is the Assistant Wildlife Director of the nonprofit Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. Uh, good morning, Debbie. Thanks for joining us today.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Before we get our talk about eagles, if you would, tell us a little bit about your background and the work of the Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation.
4: So. Sir- um, I have been with Mississippi Wildlife a couple of years now. We are a nonprofit that does the rehabilitation and education for our wildlife here in Mississippi. Um, i started out doing it as a volunteer with ducks and it just kind of compiled into the birds of prey and the songbirds and i've worked my way on up to the assistant director so it's been a long ride but it's uh, it's been quite fun Uh,
1: if you would give us uh, some examples of some of the calls you receive about uh, injured animals a variety of animals
4: Certainly. Uh, we get them all the way from tiny little hummingbirds all the way up to uh, bald eagles, of course. Uh, we get them from, they may be hit by cars when uh, they're going down the road. The, the person will stop and, and Google Mississippi Wildlife and they'll find us in a frantic and try to get us to help. Uh, we get them from stuck in fly traps, glue traps, baby birds that have fallen out of nests. Uh, baby owls that are falling out of nests because it's beginning to get that time of year now for uh, the nesting for our owls. Uh, we have a lot of people in Mississippi that act, that love our birds and our native wildlife, and, and they're really concerned. So we get them all the way from small, tiny little issues of how can I feed my birds to, to help them to, of course, helping them when they're injured.
1: So uh, do you have like a mobile operation that you would do some uh, rehabilitation there on the spot or a a facility, or does it depend sort of on the situation?
4: Well, it depends on the situation, too. We do have a hospital located down in Arca Butler, not far from the spillway down there. We have a full-fledged hospital that uh, we have x-ray machines that were donated by another veterinarian, and we can do things there. Um, if it's something urgent, we do have uh, mobile equipment with us that we can stabilize. Um, we also have an ICU unit uh, that is here located in, um, in our homes where if we have a patient that is actually you know, in critical care or needs 24-hour care, they will stay with us in our ICU unit.
1: Uh, do you work with the MDWFP? I mean, oh, in absolutely. conjunction with them?
4: Yes, absolutely. We get calls from them frequently when they get injured. Uh, wildlife maybe all the way from, of course, car strikes to maybe they have gotten a call from one that may have been shot. Uh, so we do work very closely with them and we try to accommodate them as best as we can. We, we love our game wardens.
1: So uh, recently there was a story about uh, you were called to help a bald eagle hit by a car in New Albany. Uh, If you would, maybe to give us an idea of of how what you do works, tell us about that story.
4: Oh, absolutely. So uh, we got a phone call from one of our uh, Mississippi Department of Wildlife officers that a bald eagle had been struck by a car in New Albany uh the it was pretty critical he had lost quite a bit of blood and we received the call and we had we have certain protocols that we have to follow for the bald eagle i mean it's our nation's bird and u.s fish and wildlife Mm -hmm. have strict rules over that so the first thing we did is we contacted u.s fish and wildlife let them know that the situation we got approval to take the bird in for medical care uh the officer drove it right straight to us, and we began medical care there. And once we got it to the Arca Butler Hospital and did our initial assessment, we noticed some some pretty severe injuries on her back. So um, our volunteer veterinarian, Dr. Allen from Cat and Cow Veterinary Clinic here in Olive Branch, uh, we contacted him. He got everything ready. We rushed the eagle over there to do some emergency surgery and then got her stabilized.
1: Uh, you had mentioned before how much we as Mississippians enjoy the creatures that we see in nature. And in, in this case, I think the community uh, came out to help as well. Is that right?
4: Absolutely. So the community came out and grows. It's amazing how one bird can bring a a large community together. Um, we posted it on our Facebook page just because so, we knew people would like to see some updates on the bird because it's not – every day that a bald eagle is being treated here in DeSoto county so we were posting updates and we received an outpouring of support we had hunters that were hunting that day that were bringing bringing us in fresh meat for the eagle to eat uh within about um an hour of our original post uh, the owner of mesquite chop house in south haven contacted us and said i have got all the meat you need I'll be there within the hour, and he brought about 25 pounds of fresh beef for us. Uh, we were running a little bit low on oxygen tanks. Uh, the Eagle was having some issues breathing, so he was on oxygen for 24 hours. Uh, according so the vets had um, advised us we need to keep him on that oxygen. Well, we were running very low, so I called Next Air, and within the hour, Next Air had three tanks out to us for the bald eagle so it seemed like the eagle was bringing people out that it didn't matter it didn't matter who you were who you voted for where you lived or what you did the concern at this point was getting the eagle up and going and in healthy again so it was super exciting to see all these kids involved they were uh, dad take me fishing i need to get fish for the eagle we had people bringing in deer meat, goose meat, duck meat, all fresh, and they were they chopped it up for us in pieces, ready to feed. So it was amazing.
1: What would you say is the most rewarding part about your work uh, in rehabilitation?
4: I would say the most rewarding part is going to be able to allow freedom for that particular wildlife. Now, freedom in our world is a little bit different than um, – than just what normal people think of freedom. Freedom to me is to be able to provide that wildlife with a not no pain and suffering. So while we would always love to provide them the release into the wild, back into the air, uh, sometimes that's not necessarily the freedom that they get. Uh, the freedom sometimes is in the form of euthanasia. If the injuries are too severe, However, we've still provided them freedom from that pain and they can soar on afterwards and and have no pain, no no issues. And we were able to uh, provide that. So that's, to me, that's rewarding. So would, either way, what form that comes in, whether it be freedom from the pain or releasing them back into the wild, to me, that's the most rewarding part. Along with educating the public about these wild animals and kind of, you know, going through that freedom process with them.
1: We have got a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to our friend Sue, who calls in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us.
5: Good morning. I I heard your guest saying that she had an eagle that had lost a lot of blood. When when a bird loses a lot of blood to the point that they're in danger of dying, how do you restore their fluid supply. I, mean, I don't suppose you give them blood transfusions, but do you ever transfuse a bird with any kind of IV fluids?
4: You absolutely can do that. It depends on the injury and, the, of course, the veterinarian's um, thought process on that, whether or not um, the bird would actually survive from that. So, yes, you can give um, birds blood transfusion. You can do that. That's um, in this particular I had no idea. Yep, yeah, you absolutely can. Now, in this particular case with our bald eagle, she also had a fractured spine, so that was the main course of uh, issue for her.
1: All right, Sue. Thanks for the call. Always good to hear from you on Creature Comforts. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a question for our guest Debbie Crum from Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation or Dr. Majors here, always ready to take pet questions. Uh, the phone number is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So Debbie, I would imagine that if you come across an injured bird or an injured creature and you think that it might uh, re- you know, need some help and assistance, it's probably not a good idea to try to do it on your own. What would your advice be to someone who may be out hiking or something enjoying nature and does come across uh, an injured animal?
4: That's a great question because Uh, We do get lots of calls about um, injured animals or birds that uh, they want to try to take care of themselves, and we do not recommend that. We do recommend the best course of action is to get the bird, place it into a box with either leaves or paper towels, and cover that box up. And the first thing you would do was contact a local rehabilitator. And if you in Mississippi, if you don't know who that is, you can actually go on to the Mississippi Department of Wildlife and you can uh, search that site for rehabilitation and it'll bring up a list of local ones. Of course, we're always here for the, the whole state as well. Um, but the first course is going to be to contact that rehabilitator. Not always, It's not always a good idea to um, take that bird in and assume what may be wrong with it. Um, I'll give you an example um, of actually a patient we had yesterday was a songbird that had an injured wing. And they had decided to try to set that wing back. It had been folded back behind the bird. So they thought that they could set the wing back into place. They gave me a call and said, we've set the wing back. Everything looks good. However, they did not know that the bird's respiratory system flows through that those wings areas. So they they could have and did actually cause some more damage and cause the bird to, um, to pass away because of some busted air sacs. So unless you are a veterinarian or a licensed rehabilitator, it is always best to contact the uh, your closest rehabilitator. And the first line of defense for these injured animals is the person getting them to the wildlife rehabilitator. That's, the, that's what's going to save them, not someone trying to figure it out or Googling. Uh, that's the first line. That's what's going to save them.
1: So you mentioned that you're available statewide. Is there a good network of rehabbers uh, throughout Mississippi?
4: There is. We've got some on the coast. We've got some here in the middle. Um, we have a very good, a good network where if we receive mm-hmm. a call from someone, let's say down on the coast, well, we can contact and we can them and say, hey, you know, we can network this through and get this injured animal to the correct person because not all rehabilitators take uh, certain animals. So some may not be licensed to take raptors or birds of prey. And some of them are. So it depends on the bird, but we, there is absolutely a good network in between there. And we all work very well together, and uh, we can make sure that we can get that bird some help. All
1: right. We have uh, time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue talking with Debbie about uh, bald eagles. We'll have some tips about when and where the best time and place to see eagles in their natural habitat. So stay tuned. We're looking for your questions and comments this morning. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our guest for the hour is Debbie Crum, assistant director of wildlife at Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app or... Or download the MPB public media app for your phone. Then you get to listen to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Join the conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We do have a caller on the line, and let's say good morning to Kitty. Kitty, thanks for calling. You're on the air with us. Thank you. Go ahead.
5: Um, I would like to know, what do you do to keep an indoor-outdoor cat from killing birds? We've tried bells, collars, bright colors, and we're thinking about putting hot wire up close to the railing where we feed the birds. Um, It's either that or we're going to have to stop feeding the birds.
1: Um, Dr. Major, take a stab at that first, and then we'll let everybody kind of chime in.
3: Oh, it's an interesting subject there. Number one, you may have to stop feeding the birds. Uh bird feeders will set up uh uh cats to uh, both watch but they'll also stalk. Uh I've had that problem myself with other cats, neighborhood cats. Uh one of the things uh, keep the cat inside that's about the best I can say. Uh I think basically uh cats should be kept inside. And that's where where I am with that. Uh, And it's a difficult thing. I know the cat wants to go outside, but as long as you're feeding those birds, this cat's going to stalk them and possibly
1: catch some. Debbie, any thoughts on on this issue?
4: Oh, I agree with the doctor on that. Um, That's, it's a difficult decision if you choose to have a family pet for a cat then it um, if you're concerned about the birds it just needs to be kept outside i have heard of the bells and i've heard of bright colors uh but the cat's instinct is to go for that bird so it the bells usually don't make a difference and so if you're if you're going to keep a family pet as a cat that's indoor and outdoor then you do definitely need to stop feeding the birds
1: and libby any final thoughts on this
2: Yeah, I'm on the side of keeping cats indoors. I think they really need to be indoor animals. They'll be happier and they'll live longer. And uh, the birds will be safe. But definitely, if you continue to let the the cat outside take the bird feeder down, you don't want to encourage that.
1: All right, uh, Kitty, thanks for your call. Um, You know, it's funny. My cat is an indoor cat, and he occasionally will run outside outside. Um, and I've said this on the air before, but it's crazy that he gets to the edge of the driveway and kind of looks around and then uh, usually heads back inside, and I always tell him, of course, you know, the cats are cats, but I'm like, look, you've got this nice warm house in here. I feed you all the time. You can go, you know, take your nap on anywhere you want in the house. Why do you want to be out there <laughs> with all those other cats that are running around outside? So hopefully,
3: Well, I- you know, it, that old saying holds true. Curiosity kill the cat. And they are curious and they want to check things out. And of course the street is one of the biggest cat killers and uh I, I could tell you all kind of stories about cats that have been brought in. But uh we'll have to talk about uh the uh munchkin kitty that was brought in one day. Uh we're still working with him. Uh he was found on the side of the road on top of his mother who'd been killed. Mm and uh he was only about 3 or 4 weeks old but he's still we're still trying to re- rehab him and get him back to normal
1: yeah uh, and like I said fortunately my cat does seem to re- get to the edge of the driveway and then turn around and come back in and uh the other time the other thing that's kind of odd is he usually gets himself sort of stuck behind the opening door because uh where I can kind of block him out of the way. But sometimes he he will make a dash for it, and mm-hmm. as quick as cats are, sometimes it's hard to prevent him from going out there. But so far I've been very successful in rounding him up and getting him back inside without too much trouble.
3: He's just showing you that he can. That's, that's
1: <laughs> We're visiting today with Debbie Crum, the assistant director of wildlife at Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. We've talked a little bit about the work that she does rehabbing uh, birds and other creatures in Mississippi. Uh, Debbie, if you would tell us about the Arca Butler Lake Rehabilitation and Nature Center,
4: sure. The Nature Center. Uh, we actually have a hot. Well, the hospital is located in Arcabutler by the by the dam. Uh, we have a the art trails, which are located in Hernando, Mississippi, which has the education pavilion in it currently. And we are working to build a new state-of-the-art nature center and new hospital there in Hernando, which will include a flight cage for the rehabilitation of the the bald eagles as well. Um, It's going to It will be modeled after one out of Sweden and be one of the largest in the United States. Uh, So that is our goal to complete the nature center there and the new hospital. So we are able to to provide that to the community.
1: Is that area a good place to see eagles?
4: Um, The Arkebutler Lake is a great place to see eagles. Uh, We have several mating pairs there. And actually right now is a great time to go eagle watching. Right now they are um they're breed, they're they're breeding right now they are starting to uh they're building their nest they're laying their eggs and they're out right now so they um this past several weeks they've been doing lots of I like to call them nestorations where they are cleaning up the nest and, and putting new sticks in there and they they come back to the nest typically every year so they come back they do a. Um, a rehab of their own home. It's like a Chip and Joanna Gaines special, I guess. They decided they're <laughs> going to put new uh, new sticks in there and do a little decorating, and and then they start laying their eggs. So in Arca Butler, there is um there's a a nest that's actually directly across from the uh the new core office, right across the the water there at the edge. There is a active nest there. And we've had actually quite a, few people, quite a few people have posted some pictures that they've caught there. And they're out fishing in, in that big open water. So that it's a great time to see them in Arca Butler. There's several out in Tunica as well. Um, we've had reports of two pairs in the South Haven area. We've had reports of uh, one pair one pair in the Bridgetown area near Nesbitt, Mississippi. So they are out and about right now and they're they're getting ready for their their nesting season.
1: Um, so what is it about the, the habitat of a lake that makes it an ideal ideal place for uh, for the eagles? Is it proximity to a food source?
4: Absolutely. It's um It's approximately the food source. It's also um, a good area for them to be secluded. So they will find a very large tree to build that nest in. Um, And typically it will be on the water's edge um, or close to it in where it's kind of maybe on the edge of an island, something like that. So it's more secluded so they're not bothered by, by people. When they build those nests, I mean, they're massive their massive nest, and they want to keep them there. So they try to find a place where they're going to be safe with their babies. Uh, 56% of their diet actually is fish. So the water is the major food source for them. Uh, Only about 28% is going to be birds, uh, waterfowl, ducks, things like that. Um, only 14 percentage is like mammals or, and they are scavengers. They will, they will scavenge off of, a, a, a dead, you know, deer on the side of the road and then just some kind of random things. But because the major, the majority of their diet is fish, that is why that they go towards those areas.
1: So what is the status of Mississippi's bald eagle population?
4: Oh goodness. So it's thriving, which is. Excellent. So back, oh gosh, back in the 1960s, um, it was recorded about only 400 nesting pairs of eagles in the in the United States. Uh, right now, we're up to 10,000 nesting pairs in Mississippi themselves. Uh, what the research that we have done has showed approximately across Mississippi, you know, anywhere from 250 to 350 nesting pairs of bald eagles which was it's amazing to see um there was actually a study done in northern mississippi and they found 28 nesting pairs in on lake enid and they found 26 mating pairs in grenada four mating pairs in sardis and of course and then, then we found the four the four in south haven and um DeSoto county as well so they are making a big comeback which is ex- exciting which kind of leads me to the the what you should do to to find the you know to see them and to keep them safe and to keep active to their nest. um
1: so tell us that how what is the best way to go eagle hunting uh, to 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 catch them uh, in their natural habitat
4: well, the, the best thing that you can do is keep your distance. If you find a nest, don't walk right up to it. Don't go up to the tree and look up. Always take a pair of, uh, of good binoculars, wear dark clothing, and hide yourself. So you can even shield yourself from your vehicle. So if you pull over on the side of the road and, and you see a nest, instead of walking directly up to that nest, stay in your vehicle and look at it or stay behind the door. Uh, you want to shield yourself so that you don't, um, you don't, startle them Uh, if they get too many visitors there they will leave that nest and abandon the nest so we don't want that to to happen at all Um, so we definitely want people to enjoy our bald eagles but also respect their their presence and and keep them there as well
1: you know i love that image you created of the of the birds coming back and sort of doing the redecoration of their nest tell us about a bald eagle's nest as you said they're they're pretty massive
4: Oh, they're massive. So uh, one of the most recent ones uh, recorded was actually about nine and a half feet wide, 20 feet deep, and it weighed three tons. Usually they only last about five years because they come back and do their nestorations and they add sticks and add things to them you know, the weight continues to pile up on them. So usually after about five years, the tree will actually break and that nest will cause the and it will fall. We actually had a nest fall in Walls, Mississippi last year and under the weight, it was so massive. So actually when we got there, uh we were we were concerned that there was fledglings in the nest. So we wanted to make sure that they uh they were safe if they were But when we got there, the nest on the ground, you probably could have parked three cars Hmm. in the debris from the fallen nest.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking this hour with Debbie Crum, Assistant Director of Wildlife at Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. She's helping us learn more about the bald eagle, also about the work that uh, Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation does. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 you can email animals at org. before our, for, uh, our next break let's talk to marie who's on the line from hattiesburg good morning marie go ahead
0: good, good morning yes um, my daughter has a little uh, pomeranian puppy and she's been taking him to the park so he can run around and one day a hawk came like, like three feet away from the puppy and almost got him uh, she's wondering what can she do to deter the the hawk from getting him.
1: Uh, Dr. Major, let's let you take first stab at that. So the puppy did not get the
3: hook, is that correct?
0: No, the puppy was running in the park.
3: Oh, okay. And
0: okay. Uh, and my daughter was, uh, of course, a few feet away, but a hook came about oh, hawk came. Oh, a hawk, okay.
3: I thought you said a hook. Yeah, okay. a hook
0: a hawk, yeah, a hawk came yes. about three to five feet away from the from the puppy. Okay. So she wants to know what can she do to deter the hawk. What well, can she do with the puppy? Uh, put, and,
3: and put something how, how, on the puppy. Okay. How, first of all, how big was the puppy? How much did it weigh? I'm
0: sorry?
3: How much did the uh, puppy weigh? Any idea? Uh, uh, that,
0: he's about uh, four four pounds.
3: Okay. Puppies that small need to be kept on a leash where they're where you know that there are hawks or even eagles. Uh, they would be attractive as game, which would be strange, but they, there have been cases where a hawk has, uh, you know, picked up or carried off a small dog or cat. A larger one, and y'all can correct me on this, but they can only pick up about thirty to forty percent of their body weight. Uh, may may be wrong, but they can do some damage with the talons. I would be very careful and keep a dog that small on a leash and not let it run loose.
0: Okay, all right. So there is nothing because she's been getting some information. On, um, <clears throat> excuse me, online that says to put some reflector on on top of the you know him and uh, all kinds all right. of things. So she Re- wants reg- to know. Re-
3: or- Regardless, I would not let him run loose where you know that there are hawks or other large, uh, like an owl, for example. Uh, Our bird expert may be able to give us more insight into that, but uh, that's my recommendation.
1: All right. Uh, Debbie, any thoughts?
4: You know, um, it, it's it's rare that they do get them uh, a small dog or cat. Um, the Typically, we have only seen that when the food source is very low for that particular area. So if they're really, really hungry, then they may go for a small animal. But um, definitely keep it on a leash. If it's going to be hungry and if it's going to go for it, a reflective material is not going to make a difference. Um, So I would definitely, like uh, Dr. said, just keep him on the leash.
1: So yeah, the leash, and then just be aware if there are those types of animals in, in the area, just to be you know hyper uh, diligent about uh, keeping sure the little dog stays close by uh, to keep him safe. So Marie, we thank you for your call. It is time for another break. Uh, we're talking today with Debbie Crum, Assistant Director of Wildlife at Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. Stay tuned for more. You can join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672 Email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest today, Debbie Crum from the Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation. To join the conversation, our phone number is one mpb ring It's 877-672-7464. Got some callers on the line. Let's start in Mobile. Our friend Mikey's on the line. Good morning, Mikey. You're on the air.
5: Oh, thank you so much for taking this call. Um, Dr. Troy, I really need your help with this. Um, due to numerous complications, I cannot get my dog to the vet. She's not very large, but she is very feisty and ornery and hard headed and intelligent. She has an ear that's, um, well, each ear is about the size of, of her half chihuahua face, shall we say. And the, her left ear is filled with fluid under the car, She's going and hiding from me right now because she, she's that smart, okay? <laughs> um, I can't get her to the vet. I, it's, it, there are, like as I say, numerous complications. Right. What causes it? What, if anything, can I do? Um, and which is not very likely because of the kind of dog that she is and her personality. Will it eventually self-resolve?
3: Okay, that's a perplexing problem, you know, since you're unable to get her, you know, into the doctor, which would be the best thing. Uh, she may have an ear infection in both ears down in the canal. Certainly that's a possibility. Uh, I, she, I would say she doesn't,
5: that, may I say that also I should have said that she doesn't appear to be ill. She doesn't um, act like she's having any problem with her hearing. She, her appetite is great. And she's obnoxious as ever.
3: <laughs> what what has happened? What has happened? If if it's that swollen and it's fluid in it, the ear, uh, a blood vessel is broken in that uh, ear, not in the pinna, the the long part of the ear, and uh, we call it a hematoma of the ear, and usually they have to be drained. Now if it goes undrained. Uh, over time, it will consolidate, and you may get what's called a cauliflower ear. It will be crumpled. Uh, certainly, that's that's a possibility. Uh, if there's any way you can get her into your vet at some point in the near future, try to do that. And uh, I, the other thing would be to pick up, basically, uh, some ear medication or have it delivered to you, just uh, antibiotic uh, ear solution that you can put in the ear canal itself as far as getting rid of the swelling very difficult to do uh and i I would say probably she's shaking her head and that makes it can make it even worse but uh good luck to you and you know i hope this will resolve but chances of it resolving soon would be slim try to get her in if you can or have somebody take her in
1: all right, uh, Mikey, thanks for that call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Uh, uh, Beverly's called in from Mobile this morning. Hello, Beverly, you're on the air with us.
5: Thank you. I, I live in Mobile, my, and my neighbor and I have recently noticed an, an eagle in uh, and, and sitting up in one of the tallest trees in our neighborhood. We're not far from downtown, and we're also maybe about, let's say, somewhere between 5 and 10 miles from, uh, from the, uh, Mobile Bay. But we were wondering how far from a nest would an eagle circle.
1: Debbie, what's the range of the eagles?
4: If the food source is low, they'll they'll circle out, you know, a good 5-10 miles, like you're saying. If they're close to the water like that, um, if that's where their nest is, they will go out in search of others, other food sources. So you could um you could be seeing ones from the bay now i have also seen nests that are not by the water and they have actually been in a subdivision uh, on top of the tower so the nest may not be on the bay it may actually be uh somewhere close to you that's got some really tall old trees where they have built that nest so it's it's not uncommon to, to see them to build an, in an odd space like that
1: all right so beverly thanks for the call so th- that's interesting as you were saying they like the the privacy so if they were still near enough to their food source but found a nice spot kind of away from the lake that's where uh, they might build a nest so,
4: yes they, they, they want there they want to be secluded they want they they want to feel safe when they have the, their babies so
1: uh, what can the public do to help ensure conservation of our avian wildlife?
4: You know, the best thing that the public can do is, uh, is respect the wildlife. Um, knowing the wildlife you have and learning to live with them is the best thing that you can do. Um, there's also many things, um, for fishermen, pick up your fishing line. Don't just throw it on the ground. Um, Put it in your pocket, take it home. Um, the mask, don't throw your mask on the ground. We've actually gotten a few patients in that had a mask tangled around their neck, a duck. And um, watch what you, you, know, provide the local, your local wildlife with food. Let them thrive. Do your research to see, you know, what you have in your area and the best type of food that they have um, for them to, to keep them coming to the area. Okay. Basically, respect and, and be vigilant in, in your trash and things that the wildlife can pick up and get a hold
2: of.
1: Um, if so, Kevin, go ahead.
2: Kevin, I was just going to add one of the most important things you can do as a homeowner is use native plants in your yard and your landscaping and minimize the amount of poisons that you use and use those native plants is a really good start and if you're if you're very interested in getting involved uh join a conservation group sierra club audubon mississippi wildlife federation there are lots of organizations that um can help you get involved uh they usually they have outing programs so that you can get um you can learn more about wildlife and get outdoors a little bit more but um you know, be mine. start in your own backyard is what I always say. Build habitat there. Uh, there are lots of um, resources online that can teach you how to make habitat so that you actually see more wildlife. You know, we've talked about uh, things like lightning bugs in your yard. They are very definite things you can do to encourage that kind of, of animal in your yard. But uh, it, it pretty much starts with having those native plants And not over manicured, you don't want just a big mowed lawn, you want um, cover for animals to hide in, you want food for them, you want water sources, but think about those kind of things and uh, you can really do a lot for um, animals in your own backyard. You know, we talk a lot about birds, we're talking about birds today, but um, box turtles, those are pretty easy to encourage. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people um, uh, in neighborhoods now get to enjoy foxes. Uh, Raccoons can be a problem, but they can also be a lot of fun if you. um, That's another thing, I guess. If you really want to take care of food, don't feed them dog food, cat food, don't feed them table scraps. Uh, Treat them like wildlife, but make the habitat. Uh, welcoming for them and you'll be able to see them and you'll be able to see them acting like wildlife. You don't want them acting like pets in your yard. You want them to act like wildlife. So I hope that helps.
1: Well said. And uh, if you're interested in trying to get more native plants in your yard, you can always listen to Felder Rushing, the Gestalt Gardener, 9 a.m. Friday, right here on MPB Think Radio. That's all the time we have for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided by generous listeners like you. Uh, if you need to find a previous show, you can go to MPBonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Debbie Crum, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.